Hello, and welcome back to the Brave Parenting Podcast. I am your host and the founder of Brave Parenting, Kelly Newcomb. And this is where you'll receive the encouragement, insight, and information you need to raise kids of character in our technology and media-saturated world. We call it Brave Parenting because it takes courage and hard work to stay on top of technology and then choose how you and your children will incorporate that into your lives. Our ultimate goal is to keep you informed and equipped to raise your tech-savvy kids. Welcome to today's show. All right, happening today in the news, we have the number one app in the App Store, FaceApp, and its controversy. Also, the controversy of an Instagram murder. Our character focus today will be on resourcefulness. Our app focus, a little bit later, will be on Wish. And in our family focus, we're going to be discussing turning tech savviness into resourcefulness. All right, jumping into the news today. Face app, the number one app in the app store, ages your face by about 50 years. The question is, is what else are they doing with your photos? That's the controversy. So this app became wildly popular as many celebrities began taking their pictures and posting them on their own social media accounts. Young children began to see, you know, the Jonas Brothers and Drake and all of these other celebrities aged 50 years. You can see how this quickly went viral. But as that happened, controversy also came about. So FaceApp is the product of a Russian company that takes your photos, brings it to their servers. And of course, they do retain rights to those photos because that's what most apps do when you give them permission to have your photo. Then they perform artificial intelligence on it, making you look 50 years older. They add wrinkles, sun damage, and gray hair. It's kind of really creepy, really. Now, critics have cautioned that the app could collect more than just the photos. You know, according to their policy, FaceApp says, quote, we cannot ensure the security of any information that you transmit to us or guarantee that the information on the service is not going to be accessed, closed, altered, or destroyed. Here's the deal. This is in the privacy policy and the terms of service of almost every app. Because we're transmitting our data to them over the internet, it's on their server. These companies don't know. I mean, they try and protect against hacking or anything um, being leaked out. But if it was to happen, they need their own protection. And that is what is written in their privacy policies. So as this sort of became um, viral, not only in the downloads of this app and people sharing their photos, also this controversy. So here's the deal though. All apps have this disclosure to protect them. And all apps do, if you're giving your, an app permission to have your photo, they're doing the same exact thing with your photo that FaceApp is doing. Honestly, we should be just as concerned about Facebook, Snapchat, or Instagram and all the photos that they retain of ours. I mean, if you look at it, Facebook has 2.5 billion monthly users, whereas FaceApp right now is only at 80 million. You know, both apps apply facial recognition and store the photos on the servers. So yes, we do need to apply the same scrutiny that we consider a new app that we're allowing to age ourselves just for fun. That same level of scrutiny needs to be applied. Any social media app or an app that we're giving them picture of our face or any of our personal and private data. Now, also in the news, sort of a more disturbing story is a low-level influencer um, allegedly killed another influencer and posted her 
photos of her body to Instagram. So how this story goes is this 21-year-old boy with about 3,000 followers on Instagram met up with a girl who he met through Instagram and through Discord, another chatting app for gamers. Met up with her, 17 years old, and they went to a concert together. By morning, they were still together, but she, he had murdered her. And when he was at gunpoint by the police, he was still allegedly updating his Instagram story with photos of the victim. He posted these grisly images of her corpse and captioned, I'm sorry, Bianca. That was this young woman's name. Not only on Instagram, but as well on Discord. And we went over Discord in episode seven. So if you don't remember what that app was like, you can go check that out. When these photos began becoming viral and more and more shares of it, what's interesting is people started flagging them, saying, hey, this is inappropriate content. But more and more posts started coming up. Not only that, hundreds of other accounts began posting in the comments that they too were hosting photos of the body and asking people to follow them in order to gain access. So there's a real serious problem with this, that people are so in competition for for social media fame, for these followers, that they're completely lacking empathy, ethics, and even just common goodness that you would say, hey, follow me, give me another follow to butt my numbers up, and I'm going to show you a picture of a murdered young woman. I mean, this is, this is tragic. The lack of empathy in this is disheartening. One woman claimed, um, she told the Rolling Stone, that she reported and flagged the images to Instagram as inappropriate. And then she received a DM from Instagram saying that the photos do not, in fact, violate its guidelines. So that, you know, kind of adds to the controversy. Why didn't Instagram take these photos down faster when people started flagging them, started reporting them? How was it that it could go from a few thousand followers that he has, 3,000, to all of a sudden all over, you know, Instagram and all over the internet? Forbes investigated this and they said, you know, how Instagram really does profit off of horror. You know, instead of flagging the images when they were uploaded and preventing them from really being seen in the first place, because they have the technology to do that. They can recognize when a picture is uploaded or what kind of content that may have. Or removing them quickly and preventing re-uploads after they were already flagged and detected. Instead of that, they just continued to circulate. And then once it had become massively viral, then they took them down. So for an app like Instagram, who um, routinely touts about their you know, sophistication, their capability of filtering technologies, this is kind of concerning. Um, now, whether it happened, you know, because it happens on a Sunday morning, maybe that has something to do with it, maybe it doesn't. But for parents, for us, we really need to consider. I mean, there's two things when we consider allowing our children to be on these type of platforms. One, the content that they themselves are going to post. That can be concerning. We don't want them to share a lot of their or too much of their personal data, personal selves. And number two, what content they're following. These may have seemed like seemingly innocent, natural people to follow, but who knows what your child could be exposed to. That's why it's really important that if you are allowing your child on social media during the teenage years, that you are looking at who they are following. What type of content are these people posting? 
You know, are they following people they have no clue who they are? Or are they following celebrities? Or are they just their close friends? For the most part, close friends are probably a safe bet. I generally recommend, you know, a one degree of separation. Your child should know this person from school. They should know them from church or athletics or family They should have just one degree of separation. When we're following people, we have no idea who they are. We truly have no idea what kind of content they're going to share because we don't know the content of that person's character, truly. That can so easily be a facade on social media. In our character focus today, we're going to be talking about the virtue of resourcefulness. Now, resourcefulness is the ability to find quick and clever ways to overcome difficulties. So I love this character trait. I love people who are resourceful and, you know, I'm not the only one. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, is actually quoted to say, life is too short to hang out with people who are not resourceful. He even attributes resourcefulness that he learned from his grandfather as the key to his own success. And this virtue really is sort of the heart and soul of entrepreneurial people. With this sort of resourcefulness mindset, you are driven to find a way, you know, one way or another. You're not going to let failure stop you. You're always looking for innovative, new, creative ways to achieve success. So it contains a lot of out of the box thinking and visualizing lots of ways to achieve what you desire. According to entrepreneurial.com, there are six characteristics of resourceful people. So let's go over these real fast. So number one, resourceful people are open-minded. They're passionate about breaking boundaries, not necessarily rules or laws, but just boundaries of what you think is possible. Number two, resourceful people are self-assured. They believe in themselves and that they are competent and adequate enough to achieve what it is that they want to achieve. Number three, resourceful people are imaginative. They're thinking creatively or they're using ingenuity to make something that's old, work better or faster or in a different way. Number four, resourceful people are proactive. Really, there's no such thing as procrastination in the mindset of those who are resourceful. They are activators and achievers. They get things going and they look for solutions. Number five, resourceful people are persistent. Failure is not going to set me back. If I don't succeed the first time, I'm going to get up and try again. And number six, resourceful people are hopeful. They are trained to see things in a very positive, optimistic way. And as you cultivate this positive outlook, it helps them to come up with new solutions. Essentially, fear and frustration will block um, new ideas and innovations. So resourceful people don't live and are not driven by fear and frustration. So those are great character traits. We love all of those. We want all of our children to have those, right? And they all are embodied in this character virtue of resourcefulness. So how do you develop resourcefulness? Well, two main ways that you can really start working on this, whether you're a child or an adult. Number one is to flex your problem-solving skills. It's sort of like a muscle. The more you practice solving difficult problems, the better you get at it. So when it comes to it, I mean, resourcefulness really is problem solving. You know, there's a little bit of persistence, but there's also this mental toughness, this I'm going to really put my mind to something. I'm not just going to give up easily, but really think about something and find that solution. The second way is to develop your creativity. 
Now, we talked about creativity as a virtue in our last podcast. And so here we are looking at creativity again. Because when you drill down resourcefulness and problem solving pretty much to its essence, you really arrive at creativity. The more creative you are, or the ability you have to sort of tap into your creativity, the more likely you are to think of new ideas in order to solve a problem. We talked about with creativity, one of the surefire ways to boost creativity, to sort of promote that in our children and ourselves is to allow boredom, right? When we are not on the screen, we are not engaged in an activity where the app or the game is sort of leading our brains through the experience that they want us to have. But when we're bored, when we're outside of the screen and our minds can really wonder and can truly think through different problems, different dreams, different ideas, that is where resourcefulness can really take off. So what does it look like for you to teach and to develop these habits, these resourcefulness habits to your family? If your children want to know some information, teach them how to look it up themselves. Show them reference books, other than just a dictionary. I mean, yes, they can do it online, right? But sometimes that's not the, always the best way or the only way. Sometimes it really is easy as if your kids want information, just making them actually look it up and you not giving the answer. Well, sometimes it, it is easiest that way. But if you really want them to learn why something is a certain way or to, to learn a fact or to learn a piece of history, make them do the work. Let me remind you, Alexa is not problem solving. Google and YouTube, yes, it can teach you something, but it's not problem solving. It's not flexing those problem solving muscles. That Yes, they're easy ways for the kids, especially in their tech savviness, to just think that they're being resourceful because I know the exact website that I can go to and find the answer. But resourcefulness is also off the computer, right? Off the internet. How can I solve problems? Now for parents, this takes a lot of intentionality because it's really easy for us to sort of jump in and solve our kids' problems. Some people say this is one of the biggest problems we have as a generation of parents is that we're solving too many of our kids' problems. And then when they get to adulthood, they can't cope because they don't know how to problem solve. Knowing this, we really do need to be intentional. I always find myself saying to my children, you know, when they, will you make me this for lunch? I don't know how to make it. Read the instructions. It's a can of soup. I'm pretty sure that you can competently make this bowl of soup without my help. And they'll be like, oh my goodness. And then they do it and then they feel successful. That is so basic. And we want them to be able to problem solve way more than that. But those are those everyday tasks that it's easy. You know, we want to be maybe servants. We want to just, yes, I'll make you lunch. Let me make this soup. But if we can teach them when they come up to something like they really feel like I've never made, you know, a bowl of soup. I'm not really sure how to do it. But yet we force them. They read those instructions and then they realize that it's easy. And they're like, yeah, I totally got this. But if they're always coming up to hard tasks and you step in and do it for them, they're not learning problem solving. Now, another way to do this, if a child comes to report a problem to you, you know, a dispute or a concern, make it a part of your family culture where they're also expected to come up with some possible solutions that could answer that problem. I know when my kids are fighting, they'll come to me and I'll say, well, what do you think that the solution should be? Because maybe both siblings had done something wrong. And 
course, they want me to come up with that. But when I engage their own brains in this process, come to find out, of course, they, neither of them want punishment. <laughs> so it helps them to maybe not come to me when I'm making them come up with a solution or their own punishment. It can be as simple, my kids will say to me, mom, you know, we're all out of beach towels. And I say, great, how do you solve that problem? And they'll say, I take all the wet towels and put them in the dryer. You got it, kiddo. It really can be that easy. We could jump in and we often do and fix the problem. Let me go get you dry towels because you're standing there wet. But they have to learn. It's in these simple everyday tasks and details of our lives at home that really can flex our children's problem-solving, coping, those skills. A few other fun ways that you can develop this, not only creativity, but problem-solving, you know, play strategy games together. Not on a screen, but like actual games such as chess or sequence, risk. Settlers of Catan is a fun one that we like in our house. Ticket to Ride. There's lots of strategy games that you can find. Also, again, we talked about this last week, encourage boredom and creativity. Let them be bored. Let them find their creativity. Let them fill their time, not with just the screen, but with innovative ingenuity ideas that is just passing their time through creativity. Another fun way you could do this is through escape rooms. If you have older kids who wouldn't maybe get scared about being locked into a room, Um, Escape rooms are a fun way to problem solve together, to put all of your brains together and enable you to really work as a team and discover all of y'all's resourcefulness. Role model, hard things, and problem solving. These are great ways. Just today, I was at Six Flags with five of my kids and one of the children had left their pass at home. And so here we were getting ready to go into the park. And we could not get in because one child didn't pass. We looked, okay, well, we'll just go get a new pass. And that line was forever long. So, right, that was solution number one. We just go wait in line and get him a new pass. But that looked like it was going to take an hour. So then we all said, okay, well, what can we do? Well, someone said, well, can someone from home take a picture of his pass and send it to us? Well, that would have worked, but no one else was at home. So that was solution number two didn't work. So we kept putting our brains together. And through all six of us working together, we realized that we could get the Six Flags app onto my smartphone and then looking at all of our pass numbers of the kids who had passes, we were able to determine the number that that child who had left his pass at home, his exact pass number. We were able to type it in to the app and have voila, access to his season pass right there on the app. It took about five minutes and my kids were just so proud. They thought that we were going to have to go home. Or the child who forgot his pass, he was going to have to just sit outside Six Flags for a couple hours while we rode a couple rides. And no, not at all. So I'm like, no way. We can problem solve our way through this, guys. Let's think about this. We can do this. And then they did, and they felt great about it. So this is the key of resourcefulness. We do want this for all of our children. All right, our app focus today is going to be on the Wish app. Now, fact number one about the Wish app is that it is a shopping app that allows you to order cheap goods online with major savings. Most items will ship straight from the factory in China, so the shipping ranges from about 11 to 22 days for many items, which really means it's going to take about a month for you to get the item. Wish doesn't sell many brands that are available in the United States. You'll find knockoffs of common brands. 
The quality is definitely lower than items you would find in a actual store or a shopping website you might visit because you're ordering directly from the factory that's manufacturing the product. So the middleman, the quality control, all of that is cut out. And that brings us to fact number two. The big question with the Wish app is, can you tell if something on Wish is real or fake? As I reviewed a lot of people's testimonies about this app, this is a real big question. You think that something might be name brand or close to it, but is it really just junky? You know, I can't really tell from the picture. Now, the size of clothes and the actual finished product, it just may not match what you see in the photo or what you're expecting. You know, so as you look at the items that you are wanting to buy in the Wish app, it's important that you read the reviews to see what other people have to say about the quality of that item. There are tons of users as well who post on YouTube or other platforms, you know, Wish app hauls where they kind of show off everything that they ordered from Wish. And then they talk about how the the product ends up coming to them. You know, what is the appearance and the quality? So you could also find those reviews on YouTube. You can also read the store ratings to see how that actual store is doing overall before placing your order. So right, there's multiple stores or shall I say factories who are on the Wish app that you can order directly from so you can see how that store's ratings actually are. Fact number three, like many shopping apps, you need a Wish account to use the Wish app. So until you register, you cannot see any of the deals. So you need to sign up before you can even figure out if there's something that you want to buy. Now, the problem with this is it displays your real name publicly for product lists. So beware, right? This is one of the most important things that every review has said about the Wish app is it's using your full real name publicly on the app. This means that your wish lists that you might create are not private and that any items you put on your list are truly going to show your real name. So fact number four, the Wish app and the Wish website offer a return policy that allows you to request a refund within 30 days of delivery or the latest delivery estimate. Now they say that you can use the app or the website to start the return process and they'll get back to you. After all the reviews that I read, I did not hear hardly, but a few people who are actually successful in getting returns done through the Wish app. I've heard many stories of people who have lost quite a bit of money. Maybe they bought an electronic or headphones or something of a little bit higher dollar item than say like a purse or a shirt. And then it came and it was junk, you know, it didn't work and they were not able to get their money back. Now, Wish is not the only app that is doing this sort of direct from factory in China, you know, to us in the U.S. Alibaba has a app, AliExpress, that you can get on Android and iOS that is very similar where it uses these factories in China to get products over here to America. Holler, also a good one, does holiday-specific products. And Zulily, um, if you're specifically shopping for women's, kids, or maternity, or even home goods, really, I think that's what they focus on, also available. Similar, you're ordering it direct from the factory to you. And they often have, um, you know, sort of daily deals to sort of make an incentive for you to jump on and check those apps on a regular basis and see what kind of great deals you can get from different factories. All right. Fact number five is the ratings. Now, Apple rates it as a 12 plus app. Google Play rates it a T for teen. Brave Parenting really puts it kind of at a 16 and over range, or really the age that they have their own money 
and a debit card that they can use to purchase the items. Many teens, as we know, are suckers for what looks like a really great deal on a high-end looking product. Buying cheap could allow them to buy more so that right they could have more and they could spend less. So that's like, you know, ding, 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 teens are going to love this. So they're going to want to, you know, buy this outfit or this purse to stay on top of the trends. But they need to be aware that the quality is not going to be the same. Just because it's cheap and they don't mind waiting a month for it does not mean that it's going to be exactly what they want. So if they're dead set on spending their money on it this way, and I definitely say their money. I mean, if there's something that you want to buy them on it, then you, you can choose to do that. But if they're dead set on spending their money, I encourage you to use the app with them. Shop with them. Help them look at reviews and compare. Teach them how to do this. Because we think that teens are so tech savvy that they are going to know how to spot a good deal and not get ripped off. And that is not true. It is absolutely not true. Our teens, so regularly, I hear many stories are getting ripped off because they just don't, they sort of believe everything that's on the internet and they don't know how to discern and read reviews to really boil that down for quality and a good deal. And if they do order something, and it comes back not as expected, or they don't want it, or it doesn't fit, make them do that return. Don't jump on them back, okay, I'll take care of it for you. That's again, that's this problem solving. We need to make sure that our kids are taking ownership of anything that they can, preparing them for adulthood, using the resourcefulness and the tech savviness that we know that they have in order to do that. Either way, if you allow the app, most likely they're bound to learn something, whether it is that they don't want to buy from you know, direct from factories in China ever again, or that they love it and they're going to have a great deal, in which case you may just want to give them a budget. Either way, they are going to learn something to build their confidence. In our family focus today, we're going to be discussing turning tech savviness into resourcefulness. I have talked to hundreds, if not thousands of parents who are just overwhelmed with how tech savvy their kids are and how inept they are really to to handle it. They're five steps ahead of us. You know, they know how to get around all that we set up. They know how to get around the school's restrictions or use friends' phones. They have all of these methods and it's discouraging for a lot of parents. And it sort of makes them throw their hands up and say, you know, why bother trying? Because these kids are just, they're too advanced. They know too much and I can't possibly keep up. Well, this is what we're going to combat today. This just isn't true. Yes, kids are tech savvy, but that doesn't mean that we can't use that tech savviness to teach them good character, right? This is the core of Brave Parenting is using this technology to develop this good character that translates for the rest of their life. So recently, I'll give you a personal story. Um, We found that one of our children had a thumb drive that had a VPN browser and as well as the Fortnite game. And at school, this child was using the thumb drive in the school computers whenever they were supposed to be working on a project at lunch or whatever free time there was and bypassing the school's firewalls and using Fortnite or using the browser to do what it is that they wanted to do. Of course, here we are, brave parents, and we're like, great. We're discouraged. Someone, you know, from the school was like, hey, you know what, though? This kid is really resourceful. And I wanted to be like, it's, it's disobedience, it's deviance. But I really thought about it. And I thought, you know what? He is resourceful. So how can we harness this resourcefulness and use it for good? 
because maybe I don't see that resourcefulness in daily life. But if I know that the child is resourceful at the core, then we can use that, right? And we can grow that character trait so that it is being used in positive and not negative ways. So maybe you've had a similar experience. So what are ways that we can turn this tech savviness into resourcefulness? One way I believe is knowing. If you know that they have gotten caught working around boundaries or restrictions, maybe they've snuck their phone into their room, you know, maybe they've gotten up in the middle of the night and played games because you didn't turn off the Wi-Fi and they could access the device, whatever it is, if you know that they have done these things, use that to your advantage so that when you're wanting them to solve a problem for themselves, maybe it's school related. Hey, I forgot to turn my assignment in. Well, great. I know that you are super resourceful. So you go figure out a way to solve that problem. And they'll be like, oh, no, I'm not resourceful. Oh, no. I know that, you know, you can find ways to play your video games at all costs. So I absolutely believe in your ability to solve this problem as well. They're not going to love that, but they need to hear that. Hey, I do have resourceful qualities. I can solve problems. I do it on the screen. I do it with technology. We think that that just comes so naturally to them, but it can be translated outwards. Also, you can watch them play video games. A lot of kids, of course, I have no desire to sit there and watch them play Minecraft or Fortnite. But sometimes I will, and I'll just be like, what's going on here? What are you doing? How do you know to do this or go to this place? How do you know which weapon to use? What are you doing chopping up all of this wood? I'm asking these questions, and then I compliment them. Like, wow, you're really resourceful. You know, you won the game, or you did this, and that's really great. These are great skills. And then again, when it comes to translating that in real life, hey, I've got this big problem. This is what's going on. Or it can be a simple problem. It can be like, mom, I don't, I don't know what to eat for lunch. Or mom, I don't know how I'm going to get to my friend's house in order to go to this birthday party or whatever. Whatever this problem is, is, hey, think of a couple solutions. What do you think are a couple solutions? And then we can decide on the best one. I know that while you're playing these video games, you're constantly thinking of different alternatives and different solutions that you can win the game. Great. Do that same thing in this scenario. How many different solutions can you find to get you to the party? Could mom or dad take you? Could your older sister take you? Could someone pick you up on their way, another friend? There are innumerable ways. Our job, and it requires a lot of intentionality on our part as parents, but our job is to force them to do this problem solving. We talked about in our virtue focus on resourcefulness This is what we need them to do. We want them to be problem solvers, but we have to not solve their problems. We cannot always come to their rescue. A lot of people have said this is really our fault um, that we are raising kids who can't cope in college and they can't solve their own problems. And so mom and dads are still having to come rescue their kids from, from colleges and college classes and talking to professors. If we just take a time out and look at the reality It's in the simple everyday tasks that when we as mom and dad just believe in our kids and say, you know, you may not solve it the same way that I'm going to solve it, but you can absolutely solve this problem. I've seen you solve numerous amounts of problems on your phone or on your laptop or on your tablet or in this video game. I know you can. You have it in you and you just need to exercise that muscle outside the game. So parents, can we do this? Right? Can we be brave and acknowledge, yes, they're tech savvy, but that also means 
that they have resourcefulness qualities. Now let's translate that into the real world. Let's hold them accountable for those qualities and expect them and watch them rise to our expectations of solving problems themselves. This doesn't mean that we can't encourage them and coach them along the way in solving problems, but we certainly cannot solve their problems for them. That brings us to the end of this episode. If you missed anything in this show or want to learn more, you can find us online at braveparenting.net. Or if you have any questions about what we discussed today, you can email us at podcast at braveparenting.net. For an in-depth look for how you can build strong character using this technology that children love, pick up a copy of our book, Managing Media, Creating Character, available online at Amazon. Don't forget to subscribe to the Brave Parenting Podcast on whatever favorite platform you're listening on, iTunes, Google. And thank you so much for listening to the Brave Parenting Podcast where we believe that character is greater than media and every child needs a brave parent willing to set a new standard. Thanks. Until next time, be brave.